midsummer. The old farmhouse on the hill flushed roads in the afterglow, and then, as the dusk began to mount from the brook, faded and yet grew brighter, its whitewashed walls gleaming as though light flowed from them, as the moon gleams when the red clouds turn to gray. The ancient hawthorn tree at the barn end became a tall black stem, and its leaves and bows a black mass against the pale uncertain blue of the twilight sky. Leonard looked up with a great sigh of relief. He was perched on the stile by the bridge, and as the wind fell, the ripple of the water swelled into a sweeter song, and there was no other sound to be heard. His pipe was finished, and though he knew that his rooms up at the farm looked out on the red rose and the white, he could not make up his mind to leave the view of the shimmering unearthly walls and the melody of the clear running water. The contrast of it all with London was almost too immense, hardly realized or credible. A few hours before, and his ears seemed bursting with the terrible battle of the streets, with the clangor and jangle of great wagons thundering over the stones, with the sharp rattle of hansoms, the heavy rumble of swaying omnibuses. And during the journey, his eyes still saw the thronging crowds, the turbid, furious streams of men that pushed eastward and westward, hurrying and jostling one another, wearying the brain with their constant movement, the everlasting flux and reflux of white faces. In the air, a hot smoke, a faint sick breath, as though from a fever-stricken city, the sky and all gray heat that beat upon weary men as they looked up and through the cloud of dust that went before and followed them. And now, as he was soothed in the deep silence and soothed by the chanting water, his eyes saw the valley melting into soft shadow, and in his nostrils was the ineffable incense of a summer night that as a medicine allayed all the trouble and pain of body and mind. He wet his hands in the dew of the long grass and bathed his forehead, as if all the defilement and anguish of the streets should thus be washed utterly away. He tried to analyze the scent of the night, the green leaves that overshadowed the brook and made the water dark at noon, gave out their odor, and the deep meadow grass was fragrant. A gale of scent breathed from the huge elder bush that lit up the vague hillside, but the meadow sweet was bursting into blossom at his feet, and ah, the wild red roses drooped down from dreamland. At last he began to climb the hillside towards those white magic walls that had charmed him. His two rooms were at the end of a long, low farmhouse, and though there was a passage leading to the big kitchen, Leonard's sitting room opened immediately on the garden, on the crimson roses. He could go and come as he pleased without disturbing the household, or as the pleasant farmer had expressed it, he had a home of his own. He entered and locked the door and lit the two candles that stood in bright brass candlesticks on the mantelpiece. The room had a low ceiling, crossed by a whitewashed beam. The walls were bulging and uneven, decked with samplers, with faded prints, and in a corner stood a glass cupboard displaying quaint flowery china of some forgotten local pattern. The room was as quiet, as full of peace, as the air and the night, and Leonard knew that here, at the old bureau, he would find the treasure he had been long vainly seeking. He was tired, but he did not feel inclined to go to bed. He lit his pipe again, began to arrange his papers, and idly sat down at the bureau, thinking of the task, or rather, of the delight, before him. An idea flashed suddenly into his mind, and he began to write hurriedly, in an ecstasy, afraid lest he should lose what he had so happily found. 
At midnight, his window was still bright on the hill, and he laid down his pen with a sigh of pleasure at the accomplished work. And now he could not go to bed. He felt he must wander into the night and summon sleep from the velvet air, from the scent of darkness, from the dew. He gently unlocked and locked the door and walked slowly between the Persian roses and climbed the stone stile in the garden wall. The moon was mounting to a throne in full splendor. Below, at a little distance, there seemed the painted scene of a village and higher, beyond the farmhouse, a great wood began. And as he thought of the green retreats he had glanced at in the sunlit evening, he was filled with a longing for the wood world at night, with a desire for its darkness, for the mystery of it beneath the moon. He followed the path he had noted, till on the wood's verge he had looked back and found that the shape of the farmhouse had fallen into the night and vanished. He entered the shadow, treading softly, and let the track lead him away from the world. The night became full of whisperings, of dry and murmuring noises. It seemed soon as if the stealthy host were beneath the trees, every man tracking another. Leonard quite forgot his work and its triumph, and felt as though his soul were astray in a new dark sphere that dreams had foretold. He had come to a place remote, without form or color, made alone of shadow and overhanging gloom. Unconsciously, he wandered from the path, and for a time he fought his way through the undergrowth, struggling with interlacing bows and brambles that dragged back his feet. At last he got free, and found that he had penetrated into a broad avenue, piercing, it seemed, through the heart of the wood. The moon shone bright from above the treetops, and gave a faint green color to the track which ascended to an open glade, a great amphitheater amidst the trees. He was tired, and lay down in the darkness beside the turfy road, and wondered whether he had lit on some forgotten way, on some great path that the legions had trodden. And as he lay there watching, gazing at the pale moonlight, he saw a shadow advancing on the grass before him. Breath of wind must be stirring on some bow behind me, he thought. But in an instant, a woman went by. And then the shadows and white women followed thick. Leonard gripped hard at a stick he was carrying and drove his nails into the flesh. He saw the farmer's daughter, the girl who had waited on him a few hours before. And behind her came the girls with like faces, no doubt the quietest, modest girls of the English village, of the English farmhouse. For a moment they fronted him, shameless, unabashed, before one another. And then they had passed. He had seen their smiles, and he had seen their gestures, and things that he had thought the world had long forgotten. The white writhing figures passed up towards the glade, and the bows hid them. But he never doubted as to what he had seen. <laughs>